Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Star Whores podcast. Get it? Get it? Because we're women? My name is Sawyer, otherwise known as Sawyerism on Instagram and TikTok. And I'm Hannah, also known as Discount Bo-Katan on TikTok. And today we have two very special guests and we are talking about Mandalorians. But before we get started, could you both please introduce yourselves, tell us uh, what kind of content you make, where we can find you, and who your favorite Mandalorian is. Um, I guess I'll go first. I'm Baldy Juan Kenobi, also known as Chandler. I'm on TikTok. You can find me on Instagram, especially if you want to ask me questions. It's a lot easier on Instagram because my DMs don't work on TikTok. I am pretty much a Star Wars only TikToker. That's pretty much all I do. There's not a lot else to me. I My favorite Mandalorian is either Bardian Jusik or probably Cal Skarana. I love both of them. So those are near and dear to my heart. And uh, J. Kevin Parker, just about on all the socials, the letter J, my first initial. And uh, on TikTok, I'm uh, that's mostly you know my platform right now. But I also have a YouTube, which is called Epic Worldview, which we talk about things like Star Wars and also Marvel and other things. So uh, favorite Mandalorian, I'm going to sound pretty basic, but uh, it's Baby Yoda. Now, um, I know his name is Grogu, everyone. Uh, actually, Din Djarin. And for some reasons that I'll explain uh, when we get to that part. So, awesome. And I I know that you know for Chandler, for uh, you know Mandalorians are something that you're really passionate about, and it seems to be something that a lot of people like have really really strong feelings about. Um, and usually very positive. And I just I want to know before we go any deeper, what is your theories as to why are the Mandalorians so beloved? Like, what is it about them that just makes people, you know, go crazy for them? I think at least for me, it's the good family unit, despite the fact that most of the Mandalorians are in no way related, even by blood and sometimes even by species, but all of them together are completely united in what they believe in, at least to a certain extent. Obviously, there's different factions with Death Watch and all that, but... In a, they're a family and they're willing to die for each other and kill for each other without a second thought and they do a lot of the time which and it's they're just so cool it's like if the ancient spartans were ninja commandos with lasers there's and then they had really nice family units it's just what's not to like it's always been super nice especially with all the culture that comes along with it how they're kind of rough and tumble cowboys as well as they'll also pick up a child off the battlefield and coddle them and raise them as their own without a second thought, which I think is, is kind of cool to see. I, I, that's why I love them is because you'll see these men who are the toughest men and the toughest women in the galaxy running around stabbing Jedi, and then they come up and they're like, oh, look, a small child. This is mine now. We will care for it until the day we die without a second thought. And that's, that's why I love them. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And I think it's really something that's really interesting to me about like the Mandalorian phenomenon is that we that was not necessarily Lucas's intention at all. Like the Mandalorians were not a part of the original trilogy, save for Boba Fett's armor. He's not a Mandalorian, obviously. Don't come for us gatekeepers. We know that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just so like this is one of the things that came out of Star Wars that wasn't necessarily supposed to. And 
we've gotten so much content in the past you know 30 years about Mandalorian specifically and it's just grown into something like I would say we almost have more information and stories about the Mandalorians than we do with the Jedi. Like there's just so much there and I think it's amazing. And even between legends and canon, we still have that theme that you mentioned Chandler of family, um, found family, which has become a huge topic in the fandom uh, lately. <laughs> I'm sure- More you precisely to- people not understanding found family. <laughs> But, um, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, they're just such, that's why I, I like even thought to do this episode in the first place, because we've talked about, um, you know, other families of Star Wars, we, we talked about the Night Sisters on our second episode, but this is like a completely different ballgame. And I honestly don't think we can, like, cover it in three episodes let alone one but we're gonna try um and the first thing i want to start off with is um just kind of wait 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 we we have to ask kev jkev what do you think like what is your theory on why the mandos are 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 so you know close to people's hearts uh i mean i think it all started off with boba fett uh the costume more than a character guy but uh with the toy that was released and then everybody wanted to be boba fett and then it was like People were mad that he died like a punk and then you got some legend stuff and then it just, it grew from there. And the fact that it grew so much that Lucas didn't ignore it, he decided to base the entirety of the clones, the clone army off of a sort of Mandalorian, at least off their, even the visors or like the T-visor and everything. Like there's so much of Mandalorian culture that is part of now Star Wars, the whole universe. It's, it's just amazing. And then, yeah, I, there's there's a lot more depth to them than I ever thought there would be. The fact that there's the whole warrior side, but then there's that whole, uh, you know, uh, pacifism chapter that we're going to talk about. Uh, it's interesting. There's so much I think that's interesting about them and that tie into a lot of other things, but can get, be a filter for like real life. So, but I think cool factor is a big part of it. I think, <laughs> I think people love the uniform and everything. That's a good way to, start something at least is to decide that it's cool um sorry for for completely skipping over that i I apologize but now we can get into the meat of the subject and i kind of want to start with like the origin of the mandalorians obviously we've already touched on the subject of boba fett and his armor and what that turned into um but i want to start like what what do you mean by that really is i want to start about like the timeline the origin of the mandalorians in legends because really without that stuff i don't think that we would have the canon content that we do because a lot of the themes from legends were pulled modified but pulled into canon in one way or another so i want to start by talking about the mandalorians from legends um hannah do you want to start that conversation off for us yeah i mean when i think of legends um because i'm mid kotor at the moment um the first guy to pop into my head is candorus and the first thing that i think of is the fact that um you know, the fact oh, that he and Revan are in a love triangle with HK-47. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, because we all know that's canon. Or, I guess, none of it's canon, but you know what I mean. Um, but but uh, it's the um, the idea that, like, they're... Candorous in particular, you know, pops into my mind, but also just, like, the fact that the Mandalorian Wars are such a huge shaping part of, like, 
the way that Star Wars and like the Star Wars universe sort of look, um, especially in relation to, I believe, like Mandalore itself, um, because, the, you know, the Mandalorians are established as like this warrior culture who, you know, had decided that they were going to um, go on a campaign of terror. And then that caused like the Jedi um, led by Revan to sort of rise up against them. And then suddenly we have this like, long-lasting rivalry between the Jedi and the Mandalorians. And there are not a lot of people that are anti-Jedi that aren't, like, Sith Lords. So it's it's really fascinating to me. And I know that there are so many stories um, about that. But, like, it's really cool how they, um, you know, they sort of... Uh, the, the legend stories and the legends, like, lore has shaped what we have in canon so much. And, like, we see, like those lasting impacts. Yeah, for sure. Um, I would like to actually hear your thoughts on this, Chandler, because I know you were like, I mean, we, we were pointed to you. Like, this was a, you need to contact him immediately about the Mandalorians. And, um, but I mean, we are, I am currently, I, I've been called the Legends girl. I'm like in the middle of Fatal Alliance, which is about a Mandalorian. But um, I would like to hear your thoughts about like the, origin of the story um because i think you probably know the most so like you're talking about all the way back to coruscant and all the way back to the tongue and all that well right? the tongue yeah absolutely i mean we have a whole day named after them in the, in <laughs> the star wars universe thursday i only know tongue's day, day. <laughs> <laughs> okay so pretty much at least from my understanding of the stuff that i've read they all the way back to Coruscant, you have the Tong, which are these lovely, not lizard, not fish, but kind of a weird combination of lizard, fish, human looking dudes. They've got the, they kind of look like the Sith purebloods, I guess, is the closest thing, but kind of green. I guess, but they have, don't mm -hmm. they have like more things happening? I don't yeah, know. They've got more little doodly dudes Insert on their head. Insert picture here, yeah. Leo. <laughs> <laughs> but they're super warlike and they didn't get along well with the Zell, which were the original humans or some of the original humans right, in the yeah. star wars galaxy i mean so this if is they started with war that there was a war and then the tong left oh my god whoops <laughs> at the beginning of time they chose violence and they went along they with it wholeheartedly and they continued to choose violence for years and years and years until eventually they decided to just choose violence somewhere else and then they just went and found mandalore and they're like, great, we live here now. This is where we like to live. This is a cool planet. There are fewer volcanoes here because there was this massive volcano that almost wiped out them and the humans. So they just took off, found their own planet. And that's where kind of the seed of Mandalorians really started. They started, they took the name Mandalore. They took a lot of the culture that they had with them. That's where the language, the Mandoa started was on Mandalore itself. And that's where everything Mandalorian, even though the Tong eventually obviously fade away the language the culture all is from them pretty much almost everything that you see the armor is even based off of their face plates the t-visor which is pretty cool which is why it kind of slants a bit unlike most humans faces but it's all based on them which is really cool and i always like the fact that it didn't matter who you were alien human sentient as long as you could think and you could be part of a family and you enjoyed violence, you were welcome on Mandalore. Yeah, um, and, and the, the armor has, like, I mean, like Kev said, like, the, the armor is 
almost what made Mandalorians a prominent yes, feature yeah. in Star Wars. And in Legends, we don't have the Darksaber. We have Mandalore's mask, which it plays a significant role, not in KOTOR itself, but if you've read the Revan novel, there's, you know, some lore there. Um, and they have this tradition of, you know, that's how they choose their leader. Whoever has the mask is Mandalore. Um, and I think that, you know, I almost like, maybe a hot take, I almost prefer that to the Darksaber. I think it's like a too. little bit less. <laughs> um, we could like get into that a little bit more. I mean, for me personally, I, I guess maybe that's just because I have like a particular attachment to Candorous, um, and I really respect his character. And even though Mandalore the Preserver is not like the best Mandalore, <laughs> um, yeah, maybe not. But, uh, you know, I have attached an attachment to, I mean, Revan is my favorite Legends novel so far. And um, I that the information we get there, I think, is really fascinating. But yeah, I do. I do prefer it kind of because there is kind of this understanding. I mean, there there is as well with the Darksaber, but there is this kind of like everything stops when someone finds Mandalore's mask. You find yeah. it, you wear it, you are Mandalore. And I think that's, you know, Candorous is able to quite literally just put it on and have all of these factions that have broken up because of the Mandalorian Wars, he is able to reunite them. Not all of them, but for the most part, the people who are true to the culture are like, okay, we are we are Mandalore again. Um, and I, I think that's a really cool part of their culture. And I'm very glad that they brought something like that into canon. Um, not the same, but, but you know. Same value, same same idea, right? I don't know. Uh, what do you What do you think, Kev? I don't know if how well versed you are in Legends because I usually see your sequel content. But um, so I've read up on basically the uh, like the history of the Legends stuff. I have not read all the novels that you all have read, so it's really interesting for me to listen. Uh, but I think in terms of how in Legends they came from. Corazon, like the, the heart of the Republic as we find them in the time of the main Star Wars films and, and then the Empire, uh, it, it's just really interesting that sort of interplay of, okay, there's this warrior culture, they go off and uh, of course, you know, you hear Jedi, uh, when uh, Luke is looking for a great warrior, Yoda says, wars not make one great. So there's this whole difference in philosophy between the Jedi and the Mandalorians and the Jedi and the Republic and then the Empire end up at that spot. So the, you know, they took their culture way to the outer rims, but then, you know, they got Mandalore and then they turned it into an ashtray and then they kept it. And then they, then they kept expanding elsewhere, but then they still want to hold on to Mandalore. Like they, Bo-Katan still can't let go of it. A lot of people can't. So it's interesting to me, like the sentimental value of it, just, there's just, I don't know. It's interesting. There's so much richness in the history, but the fact that, they don't they're not human at first and then they take in just anybody who will follow their way i think is honorable but then the fact that they're just bloodthirsty is not so honorable like there's there's a lot of interesting things that we see in other types of um sci-fi and fantasy and even some legends you know earth legends uh but also in like religious movements and things so that's oh yeah uh, some of that in a bit why you know, I went with Din Djarin, the new guy, because um, I relate to him in a way that I don't re relate to maybe most of the other Mandalorians out there. So, uh, but yeah, it's interesting that the beginning is, is quite fascinating to me to hear about it. 
Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, and something else that I think we don't, we, we've started to see now that, I mean, I, a prominent moment for me in the Mandalorian, I think for most people who are up to date with star Wars canon um, was when Bo-Katan called Din a child of the watch. Cause I think we all knew what that meant. And we were mm-hmm. like, Oh, okay. Um, and uh, so like the way that it's like the origin is fascinating, but the way it's evolved, like they never stop being interesting which is really cool. Like even their marriage vows, like there's no ceremony. There's no, you know, the Wookiees, they do, they go all out and they blah, 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 blah. You can send a text message to your love interest and be like, in, in Mandoa, blah, 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 blah. Okay, we're married now. Like that's so interesting to me. <laughs> um, But with that, I mean, that's, I think this is a pretty good, we, we've already kind of touched upon some of the stuff that's transitioned uh, to canon, but I kind of do want to talk about that now. Like, uh, because in the past 10 years, we've gotten so much canon Mandalorian content. Um, and a lot of that was inspired by what we got in the older public. Um, so maybe let's start with the Darksaber. And, you know, I'll go, Hannah, you're Bo-Katan. You're discount bo Yeah. So. <laughs> Give it to me now. Um, no, I think that, well, here's the, the first thing I want to say about the Darksaber before we leave, um, you know, the, the mask behind. I personally think that the Darksaber, something that is used and won in combat, really encapsulates the culture of Mandalore really well. You know, I mean, if it was like a uh, a culture of treasure seekers, then a mask that is hidden and found and hidden and found makes a bit more sense. Well, it's not usually um, hidden. It's only hidden because Revan doesn't want Mandalore to rise again. Right, but like that's the function that it serves in that story. Um, whereas, like the idea of you know it must be won in combat and it must be used and it is a very specific weapon that you must learn to wield, I think is you know really like it really speaks to a lot of their values. And um, I I think that you know there is no better symbol of what Mandalore is about than this dark saber. And I think it's also like so interesting that it reflects their you know rocky history with the jedi because you know the um the the dark saber itself was from a mandalorian jedi which you know in some ways is almost considered like a an oxymoron um at this point in time um you know i I, it's tarvisla right who um was the uh, the the Mandalorian Jedi who crafted the dark saber somehow I don't know how he like managed to make it like that but then you know the Jedi had it and like had it as their little showpiece and then um, it got hijacked by you know the Mandalorians after the fall of the Old Republic and uh, it is like I I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know if we have any stories of, like, the Jedi trying to get it back. I think that, by and large, it's been, like, respected as a a piece of, you know, Mandalorian history. Um, But it's just so, like, interesting that this one object just carries all of this history. Um, it, It really, like, it goes back to, I would say, pretty much the genesis of the, you know, the the Jedi versus Mandalorian thing that has become so much of what like Mandalorians serve to do in main narratives in Star Wars. Um, 
But I, I'm pro dark saber when it comes to that or the mask. It's like Galactic capture the flag, right? Like they're both trying to get it back. And I think by the time that we see the Jedi in the main uh, storyline, they're sort of sitting on their butts a lot, and I don't think they care as much. But, <laughs> but yeah, back then, yeah, it was a big deal. Yeah, I think for me, the reason that I I don't know if this is the same for you, Chandler, but for me, the reason I prefer the mask is because I do think that the mask was a little bit more unifying. Uh, we <laughs> see the dark saber being tossed around and fought for and yeah you have to win it in battle but i think that causes the clans to con like you know fight with each other a little bit more whereas um the mask was okay you have the mask you are mandalore until you die like that's not you are like yeah hypothetically another clan member could kill you but for the most part it was a way you know if you die you probably died in battle and that was an honorable thing. And until then, everyone from Mandalore respected you. So for me personally, that's why I prefer the mask. I don't know if that's the same for you, Chandler. Um, but yeah, I don't know, like, why do you prefer the mask, actually? That's a good question. I prefer the mask because the one problem I have with the Darksaber is it's specifically from House slash Clan Vizsla. And Vizsla is very, very much, they've always kind of been terrorists. As bad as that sounds, like, I mean, obviously with Death Watch, we see they're very much pro-violence, pro-violence at any cost, violence for the sake of violence, which is a part of the Mandalorian culture, but they make it all about that. Instead of the mask where when someone puts on the mask, they are giving up their clan and their home and sacrificing themselves for Mandalore, whereas if you get the Darksaber, that means, hey, my clan now rules. And usually that saber would stay in House Vizsla and the clans that fall under them, like House Wren and all them. But whereas the mask was, hey, whoever's got this mask, doesn't matter which clan, if they're from the largest clan, the smallest clan, this is Mandalore himself. Is, is that clan, doesn't matter what clan they're from, that's who they are. They are now Mandalore. They lose their name. They lose their personality kind of thing. I mean, they still obviously keep their spouse and all that, but they are now kind of sacrificed for Mandalore. They are now their entire purpose is keeping not just their clan safe, but everyone safe. And I'm really excited to see what the Beskar spear is, because I know that, I think it was either the Indomitable or Ultimate had a Beskar spear. And I am praying that that is what <laughs> Din Djarin has, because that would be super cool to see him go, hey, yeah, by the way, now I've got the Darksaber. Oh, now I've got the Indomitable Spear. And oh, by the way, look, I found a mask and then just pull out the Mandalore mask. And like, he is de facto leader. He's not once Mandalore, not twice Mandalore, but now thrice Mandalore. Like, I just think that would be the funniest thing because he's just this stay-at-home dad who's kind of wandering the galaxy and he keeps finding all these insanely hard artifacts to get, <laughs> just trying to keep his baby safe. I just think that would be the best thing ever, at least for me. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how Bo-Katan would feel about that, but I will say I do appreciate, you know, we weren't sure what, we still aren't sure what in the Old Republic is canon, save for the fact that the era yeah. is canon, the ancient Sith Empire is canon, and the name Riven is canon, that's like all we know, but this season of Mandalore, or the Mandalorian did kind of confirm that there was something, the Mandalorian words, we don't know what it was, but I, I, it's nice to see that they're kind of tying some of that stuff in so you know there is it is actually a little more translate. um oh, i'm sorry no yeah they did actually translate the mandoa in his i have a, a friend on youtube he translated the mandoa 
because these are the kinds of friends that I have. And <laughs> he translated the gauntlet. He went in and he went up because he has a Mandalorian dictionary, like a nerd. And he went in and he translated it. And it confirms that, I don't know if, does anyone here know who Jaster Muriel is by any chance? So he was the man who adopted Jango Fett. He was the one when Jango Fett's family all died and all that. He was the guy who took him in when he was like, I think he was like eight or 12 or something like that. And he took him in and gave him his armor. And so when Boba Fett pulls up the little, the Mandoa on his gauntlet, it says, given as a gift to Jango Fett from Jaster Muriel. And then I think it's got the date and I think it's got like Concord Dawn on it or whatever the planet was. And that's pretty much it. But it confirms that Jango Fett was at least a foundling and he was gifted armor, which is where we see what's his name, um, Din at in season one, which is pretty cool. So we know that he was at least a very much a Mandalorian, at least until his clan gets wiped out by Vizsla, which sucks, but it is what it is. And I will say technically that um, Rebels did outright confirm the Mandalorian Wars um, in we just, the I, We don't know what Saber. it is, though, do we? Like, they said, he, Kanan said to Sabine when he's like taunting her as she's learning to use the Darksaber to piss her off that she so she fights harder, um, that like, you do know the Jedi beat the Mandalorians in those wars, right? Um, so the concept of it does exist, and I think that the, um, you know, the genesis of the Jedi versus um, uh, Mandalorian hostility is canon. Um, it absolutely is, yeah. And they're a formidable opponent. I mean, like, y- y- we don't see that very often, save for the Nile, which are turning out to be pretty scary for the Jedi. But other than that, we don't see a lot of non-Force sensitives, like... Act- actively oppose the Jedi in a way that posed like poses the, the Mandalorians in Legends would have won if the Jedi if all the Jedi were like yeah whatever because that's what they did at first that's why so that's why Re- Revan rose to power but um anyway yeah and oh sorry go ahead Kev yeah no problem um the uh, whole modern like warfare of Mandalorians. I mean, they've been a warrior race for millennia, right? But everything that they are today, even their armor and their weapons evolved with their fight against the Jedi because the Jedi kicked their butts and they're like, well, we got to be able to fight those guys. And so they figured out ways to counteract every, just about every Jedi trick that's out there. Um, You know, and, and they're uh, so, so they are formidable opponents. And so, Kanan was just taunting her right because it wasn't exactly like the Jedi just wiped out the Mandalorians like it was there was a formidable fight for a long time and that's their whistling birds and their you know a lot of the jetpacks even like they learned a lot of that stuff just so they can fight wizards space wizards yeah they've got the the Sabine's van braces are given to her specifically so she can kick um Kanan's ass when she's learning to use the yeah they can push things away like a force push and yeah, it's interesting stuff. Make basilisk droids. Cannon. Yes, yes, please. please. <laughs> Can you imagine Din Djarin riding in on one of the oh things with Baby Yoda strapped to his back in a baby carrier? I would kill so much for this. I would love to see that. I like I when I read. So I did this. I did it like way backwards i read revan and then i played kotor and then i played kotor too uh and i just as i yeah i know um so i read 
the book and I was like, what the hell do these things look like? And then I played Code for Two and I'm like, oh, that! <laughs> um, but yes, anyway, very cool. But I, we should move away from Legends, but I do want to say real quick, like, I, I'm not a huge fan of the armor in Legends. <laughs> At least in the Old Republic. Like, I don't know. Like, the knight. The nipple armor? Yeah. The nipple armor? <laughs> yeah. But it would have saved Django. It would have saved his life because, I mean, it was made because that was a time when they kind of fought Jedi more. So they needed nipple hats to make sure that they, because it was so curved that the lightsabers, you couldn't hold a lightsaber to it easily and melt through the armor. Because if you hold a lightsaber to Beskar, it'll still eventually melt it no matter how pure it is. So they made it a dome shape. So it would ricochet off to once again, like all y'all said, be better at killing Jedi because that war. They, all they were doing, because the only people in the galaxy that posed a threat to them weren't the Republic soldiers, because they were trash, rest in peace. But none of the planets that they went up against really stood a chance, because no matter how good they were, none of them made them change their arm and evolve. And that's why they hated and loved the Jedi so much, is even though they wanted to kill them at all costs, that's one of the few things that made them evolve and change with time, was, hey, they invented shotguns just to be able to kill Jedi. They invented... They invented whistling birds just to be able to kill Jedi. They invented weird oblong-shaped helmets, which are look really, really stupid, but it helped them to kill Jedi. And I always thought that was kind of cool. Their great hatred towards the Jedi and pettiness was what drove them to be better at killing things. I know. The, the, the fact that they invented metal bullets specifically so that a lightsaber couldn't deflect them is just so funny to me. It's like we're, we're developing backwards almost um, because we don't have blaster charges in real life, but we do have metal bullets. Um, whereas that was like an invention, like an upgrade from blaster charges, which I think is so cool. Um, but yeah, you're you're right. We should we should uh, get on and along to the um, the second sort of category that we wanted to dive into, which was um, just like more specific parts of the the canon Mandalorian culture, how they're ca- cate- uh, um, characterized, how they're categorized, like and what makes them. Um, I guess unique from, you know, there are like other warrior cultures that exist in Star Wars, but this is the one that has been like so fleshed out. And, um, you know, I wanted to talk about like, I guess part of it is um, the uh, <laughs> the Death Watch versus Mandalore proper um, by the time of, uh, you know, post original trilogy creeds and how they've differed so much and how we really have like, we already had two different kinds of um, societies where we had, you know, Sabines, uh, or not Sabines, oh my god, Satine's, um, <laughs> I, they're so similar, uh, Satine's era of, like, pacifism and that that preceded her, but uh, versus, you know, the more traditional warlike thing. But then now that, you know, the, the Clone Wars are over and the Empire is more or less gone, we've also got... Um, you know, the Death Watch way, which is so much different than what we saw in um, the Clone Wars, where, where they've got so many cultures. So let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, Jacob, what do you think about, like, this whole, you know, situation where suddenly we've, we've got new, like, watch culture? Yeah, so <laughs> took it back several steps even before Death Watch, and they were trying, because Death Watch just really 
just despised the whole peaceful way of Mandalore, the the pacifism, because it was the antithesis of Mandalorian culture. And yeah, um, it, and there's a whole like lot of stuff I could talk about about their war like nature again. Wars not make one great, uh, but the way of the Mandalore, like the way that is the child children of the watch were seeing what they were originally the uh, the death watch was trying to restore sort of that culture but children of the watch have gone so far to go way back further and say we're going to get to the purest of the pure and we're going to keep the helmet on and it, you can never put it back on if you take it off that's it this is the new this is the way this is the new rule uh it's an old rule kind of thing right like they were desperately trying to follow this code and Din Djarin doesn't know any better because that's how he was brought in. And I, I mentioned like, there's so many parallels between religious faiths and uh, other organizations like the Star Wars fandom. There's a lot of parallels between the different Mandalorian factions and how people fight with each other. And then there's these true fans, you know, that uh, only like certain things or whatever. But in terms of my own faith journey, um, I grew up agnostic. And when I was around 15, I became a Christian. And I went through a church that was a very rural out there in the sticks church that seemed like this is the way. And we, in fact, you know, in the Bible, it talks about the way following the way, which is an interesting parallel. And I thought that all Christians had to be like them, that that was the way it was, it was to be. And then when I met other Christians, I had a moment exactly like Din Djarin with uh, I almost said Satine, uh, her sister, Bogotan, you're nothing like your sister. That's true. Um, where she's like, oh, you're one of these religious zealots. And suddenly she knew his story better than he knew his story. And it kind of freaked him out. And I know exactly what that feels like because suddenly I, I there's a whole other world open to me. Like there's more to my faith than just this little narrow view that I was taught. Uh, so there's that part of that faction. They, they're trying to be the purest to go back to the beginning of their culture. Um, who else does that? Do we even know if anybody else does it? It doesn't seem like there's a lot of Mandalorians out there that did it. Uh, so good luck, you know, making that the way of Mandalore forever. Um, but even Bo-Katan, like they're, they're still really caught up in that warrior culture because there's this code they follow. Like Klingons, if those of you like Star Trek, like they're a warrior race and they have this code, but not all of them follow it. Some of them are purists, some of them are not. Uh, but then you've got characters like Worf in that other, you know, universe. Dates humans joins the Enterprise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it's just it's really interesting um, to me to see that part of it where it's like, okay, maybe I only know this much, and he's going to become the Mandalore. Are you kidding me? Like, is he going to be like? I don't know. Maybe Bo-Katan's already been in charge of Mandalore twice, right? At least twice i think yeah one, I once as regent under the empire and then they kicked her out and uh then with the dark saber after that now she's trying to get you know unite the clans again again for a ball of ash but whatever uh is she gonna still hold on to her culture maybe she's going to have to let go of some and maybe come become halfway like her sister i don't know I think that, yeah, I mean, for sure. I think that, like, the difference, though, at least the way that I see it, like, with, with, with you know, the watch, I guess, as we're calling it now, like, they, <laughs> they've got it twisted. It doesn't seem like Death Watch ever, 
you know, they weren't, it was not a malleable point of view. Whereas, you know, even Bo-Katan was a part of Death Watch. Like she knows their organization inside and out. And she was shaped by war. And yeah, she still has her values um, and she still has her goals for Mandalore. And I think that, you know, there are a certain amount of those values that need to be there in order for it to still be Mandalorian culture. But at the same time, like she understands that there's, change and i think that uh just like with religion you know it did there is no pure way you know like we evolve as human beings we evolve as society and that's clearly not something that you know the, the watch wants to go all the way back to the beginning and that's just that that is where they you know separate i do still think that some of those traditions need to be upheld for them to be true mandalorians but uh, but that was a pure way like they uh it's always going to be through their lens of their unique right. experiences and their expression of their culture mm-hmm. it's never one big unified perfect cultural system that they're going to follow right like it's always going to be and that's why there's different houses and different clans and things like that like they they uh Obviously, it's not a totally a blood thing since you can just adopt people in with like, oh, you're my kid now, you know, oh, you're this pointy eared green little uh, guy. Now you're my kid kind of thing. So it's but it's like you're kind of adopted into the different sects, the philosophies, right, of the different groups in a sense. And you don't even know it. Maybe maybe you're brainwashed into a cult and you don't know it. Who knows? It happens. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, what are what are your thoughts on this Chandler? I honestly, I love the different factions. There's just, there's so many with it. You've got the new Neo Crusaders, which are the really old ones, which are, thank God, canon thanks to Clone Wars, because we actually see those weird dome-headed dudes. If there's one specific scene in um, Clone Wars where Ahsoka is on that Trandoshan ship after she's been kidnapped, and there's one of their helmets in the background as a trophy. And so now we get that official faction is now technically canon thanks to one obscure thing from one scene that thankfully my sister showed me she's like did you know this and i was like no but we've got them we've got the neo crusaders we've got jango fett's people which are becoming more and more canon and i can't wait to see more of that in the boba fett tv show because even though boba doesn't necessarily follow the way he still has a lot of those traditions left he still reads mandoa the ship still runs on Mandalorian charters and stuff. The slave one, he still painted his armor and repainted it the original color of his father's, which I find really interesting because Django's armor was originally the blue, or sorry, the green and the red and all that and the yellow. And he went back and repaints his armor with the symbol of the true Mandalorians, which is what that weird, the mythosaur with the yellow background, which I think is interesting, even though that's a separate from the Death Watch and Death Watch was the ones that ended up wiping them out. And Death Watch is a whole nother different fanatic group. And then we've got Children of the Watch, which is now a different group, which doesn't quite align with them. And then it's just down and down as it goes, pretty much every single house and set of clans just has a whole nother outlook on how we should live. Everything from poor, poor Fen Rao. I love him. He was, he tried so hard. I feel so bad for all of the protectors. They tried they failed but they were a really good set of mandalorians they were hey we defend our home we protect our family family comes before anything if that means we have to bow to the empire to protect our family we will go through our pride and we will bow the knee 
And then there was guys that got like Gar Saxon who were like, Hey, I am going to use our honor to try to maintain power for myself. And obviously that was another huge issue. But then of course, Sabine kicked his butt and then Mama Ren stepped in and shanked him lovely, which I, I honestly really love Sabine's mom. I would love to see more on her. I would love to see her in the Mandalorian. I don't know if she's dead or not. I don't know if any of y'all do, but like we lost so many people in the Mandalorian uprising. And I, I would like to see who's still alive. I want to see which factions rise to the top. Cause obviously there aren't really any left from Din's group. I, I think it was just him and the armor are the only ones that are still alive. And then there's guys like Boba Fett wandering the galaxy. We've got random guys who aren't necessarily Mandalorian, but they still respect Mandalore. Like Boba Fett, I, I would love to see him use like his underworld experience to come in and be like, hey, I took Mandalore back. You're welcome. Here you go. Like I went and took, um, what's his name? Jabba the Hutt's palace and retake all that and do it just to spite Bo-Katan because, I mean, her boyfriend killed his dad his granddad and all of his entire extended family that he never got to meet got wiped out because of their family and just for spite just because the mandalorians are so petty doesn't matter which clan they're from i love how petty they are like generations later and i want to see who rises to the top i want to see is it children of the watch is it all the soloists is it all the neo crusaders come back i would love to just see who's still kicking and who's still alive at the end of it all and that was really long-winded but yeah (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, we've we've talked so much about, like, this Beskar armor, and as far as, you know, I am aware, um, the Beskar thing was not always what we thought of um, for Boba Fett. I believe that people thought it was Durasteel until it got confirmed on The Mandalorian that he actually had Beskar armor, um, and that it, like, was his father's. Um, but uh, I think it's, it's it really, like, adds to his his character and like his, you know, Mandalorian roots that it, it it's not just like in the style of, it is like true, um, you know, Beskar armor. And I, I think that the idea of like a metal being so specific to a group of people, like just an element um, is, it's so fascinating to me. It's, it's like, you don't really see that a lot i guess kyber is important to the jedi and that's like the next closest thing yeah um, but kyber is also used for other things like kyber right is used not just in the empire like people mind it for their electronics like mm. the stars those lovely things yeah but it's just like i don't know it's so fascinating to me that they have those like specific things and it, it makes me think of like um you know how there are cultures like like the Egyptians were really really into gold, but they weren't the only ones that were into gold. But you know, it, it, like having this fixation with like a certain particular kind of metal is just like really really fascinating to me. But um, like Wakanda in the Marvel universe where they've got their vibranium, and right? All this yeah, is part of their culture. Um, but I don't and see it, that in a lot of other stories. You're right. Mm-hmm. And I see that, like, a lot of parallels between, like, the Beskar and the Vibranium, where it's, like, this is actually belongs to Mandalore, slash this actually belongs to Wakanda, it's Vibranium, give it back. Um, Which is just, I I think it's really interesting. (laughs) um, But, I mean, regardless, you know, they're, like closeness to Beskar, you know, is is ultimately it's turned against them under the Empire um, with 
you know, I, I, and it's Sabine who does it, who creates that weapon. <laughs> Thanks, Sabine. <laughs> he creates the weapon who, you know, targets your own people in particular. So shout out to you for that one. But um, I, I, I guess you can't like totally blame the Empire proper alone for it. Um, but it's it's just like it, it's so fascinating to me that um, that is so like that it's it's so close to their culture that it is something that is exploitable and like even momentarily becomes like a weakness for them that their their devotion to this this thing that is meant to make them stronger i just think that's really fascinating i mean yeah i mean who else is gonna that that weapon was not for it like nobody else used beskar it was the mandalorian way <laughs> so uh, that's really interesting and i mean I, I i confess i've not gotten there in rebels that was hannah's job to get there um because i am like like balls deep in old republic right now that is where i'm at um but uh yeah no i mean i i, I like do you know was there a reason why they were targeting the mandalorians specifically as opposed to the empire um, just really hated them because they actually were a uh... A force that could to be reckoned with right like even they just kept trying to scatter them and destroy them they didn't end up destroying them completely but like the mandalorians were some of the few people that could actually fight up against the empire have a chance because they could kill jedi i mean that's my take i don't know chandler what do you think in legends they pretty much come up to him and they're like hey what are y'all gonna do who are y'all gonna side with and they're like you'll pay us but if you touch our best scar we're gonna have a problem of course and in canon we see that the Empire comes in and touches their best scar, and they're the best saboteurs, assassins, and hired mercenaries in the galaxy. They are the top three that come to mind. Like, hey, these guys are really good at killing people, and they're really hard to find. You blow them up and you destroy a group of them, that same group will pop up months later and they'll reform. They were extremely difficult. They were great at guerrilla warfare, and they were scary. They, could, they popped up... Sorry. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, that's why when uh, you see uh, Din Djarin pop up on Moff Gideon's little, uh, you know, hologram there, he's like, I'm coming for you. I'm like, did you mm -hmm. not think that this guy, one of these legendary mercenaries, bounty hunters was going to be able to find you? <laughs> like, of course they, they can find you. <laughs> They're resourceful. Mm -hmm. And it only takes one. Like, even in Legends, you have just a couple Mandalorians even will go up and they try to take down Vader. They try to take down Palpatine because someone just paid them to do it. And they're like, oh, yeah, I guess that's something we should try to do. You know, they didn't they don't have allegiances except to themselves and except to Mandalore. And that scared the Empire. It scared them that they couldn't buy them. It scared them that they couldn't strike fear into their hearts and threaten them into submission and that's why they were afraid of the mandalorians and if they couldn't have mandalore from the mandalorians nobody could they thought so just yep. torch it i mean maul tried we know how that ended <laughs> <laughs> um not like you thought and i i think that that a lot of like that um you know that that resilience and that scariness is it comes from a lot of like the fact that you know, Mandalorians are based off of some real-world historical, you know, warrior badasses. Um, the Vikings um, are sort of, like, present in, in, in Mandalorian imagery. Uh, I, Kev, I don't know if you have any, like, thoughts about that, and if you want to enlighten us, because um, I know you have interests. Um, a, a lot of what I... 
I mean, I, I've been studying history for quite a while, but I, I'll confess, uh, I've learned that a lot of what I kind of thought I knew about Vikings wasn't really true. Like a lot of that stuff's been passed down, uh, which is kind of that way of a lot of cultures, right? Like you get these sort of uh, embellished stories as, as they get, you know, the bigger fishtail as they go down the line or whatever. Uh, but, you know, to look at other stories that have evolved uh, from Norse myth mythology and some other things like this idea like Asgardian warriors, right? Like there's these, uh, the sense of, you know, no nobility and honor. And then, you know, maybe it's not always about going and conquering other worlds. Maybe it's about protecting other people like Odin again, from uh, the, at least the Marvel rendition of, of that whole, uh, you know, story. Like, it's really interesting to see that sort of, uh, that that idea that our culture is war and we got to stay with it but yet we're very honorable it's like <laughs> i keep going back to marvel i know because i'm excited in a few hours we get to see the get to see oh my god i don't know uh, when i'm gonna be able to watch it and i'm so mad <laughs> for anyone who's who's watching slash listening to this when it comes out actually we're filming this on on wandavision finale eve so it, it is Thursday night uh, but when you we're probably all, I don't know about, if you, I'm assuming you followed it. I don't know, Chandler, if you're a Marvel person, but I know the three of us at least have been. <laughs> Even so my dad at dinner was like, I don't like Agatha. Well, that, you're not supposed to. <laughs> yeah, you're not supposed, exactly. But uh, when you see like Carol Danvers talking to Nick Fury back in 1995, and he's like, so you're a bunch of noble warriors. She's like, heroes, noble warrior heroes. That's kind of the way the Mandalorians feel about themselves. Like, yes, we're, we're doing this f for our own good, but it's, you know, for Mandalore. At what point do you feel like it's just a thing that you're doing and you don't like, clearly uh, Din Djarin no longer follows the way because he's taken off his helmet twice and he's put it back on. So there's been a change in him. Meeting Bo-Katan and the others was a huge like culture shift for him again like i said i've experienced that myself uh that doesn't make him less mandalorian it actually makes him closer to be mandalorian like but but he's having to struggle with that internally so yeah i mean there's some historical uh groups that were like that but i think at some point they all died out that's something else to think about too like are there a lot of vikings today i mean there are pirates but they're not the same kinds of pirates that existed you know hundreds of years ago it's uh software pirates but i mean there are actually you know pirates on ships and stuff but it's a whole different kind of thing and they're not gonna last forever either like that's just not a way that a society can live in star wars it was thousands of years but look at where they are today that's kind of what i'm getting at and i mean i honestly that kind of segues sort of into like the third act of this uh because the big question you know we as i said earlier mandalorian culture has evolved and expanded so much from where it started and so much so that we got a show called the mandalorian and we are now presented with this how do i want to phrase it i guess conundrum <laughs> where he didn't jaren has the dark saber and he is 
been he he was in a cult he has no idea what this means he doesn't even know what the dark saber is until he sees it in moff gideon's hand and bo katan mentions the dark saber like he doesn't even know what it is for i don't know what death watch what the watch has been doing all this time and why they stopped caring about it because that's really interesting to me because for a while everyone cared about the dark saber but now we're at this point where and we, I don't, we don't even have a release date for season three and we're all sitting here going what the heck is gonna happen because Bo-Katan is like uh what happened uh-uh like no 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 that's be yeah. <laughs> um so yeah I mean generally speaking i mean we'll probably be talking about this for a while but generally speaking we like to kind of wrap up our podcast with these open-ended questions and this is just the first one we have a couple but like i'm kind of curious to see what everyone's thoughts are with that because personally i don't see a grand brawl happening um but yeah what do y'all think i am very interested to see because he is technically part of house Fizzler. she is technically if you want to go back to like all the houses and clans, she's technically his superior. So I, she obviously at this point, cause she ordered Sabine gave her the lightsaber. And when she did that, she didn't earn it. And that got her into a lot of trouble with a lot of Mandalorians, which is one of the reasons they couldn't beat the empire. And they all scattered because she hadn't earned the dark saber and they just found it. And she didn't take it from Sabine by force. She just offered it to her. And so a lot of the old Mandalorians were like, Hey, you didn't even earn it. You just took it. And now we see her, she was going to take it again, but Moff Gideon's like, no, you can't. And I think now she's like, hey, last time I just took it. And I had a lot of backlash from a lot of guys who could have helped me. And I now have the question, hey, if I take it again, will that happen again? Because she doesn't have a lot of resources left. It's her axe and the other lady and who knows how many more probably a couple dozen that she has actively following her maybe at max a couple hundred which is pretty formidable in mandalorians but there's probably another couple hundred thousand mandalorians just wandering the galaxy because that's what they've always done they may not necessarily be super advertising about where they are what they're doing but they're out there and she if she can't unite them she's in trouble but last time she did it it didn't work because she didn't do it right. And I don't think they're ne- going to necessarily fight, but I also think she has to, to make it right, to do it the right Mandalorian way. But I'd like to see them come to just, maybe just like a gentleman slash gentlewoman's duel would be kind of cool. Like take 10 paces, shoot at each other in the head. You've both got Beskar, it'll be fine. Or like do you want to enter the battle circle or do you want to watch the battle circle? You watch the battle <laughs> circle, exactly. Or find the helm of Mandalore or something. I would kill to see them like, hey, both of y'all start. This is where the helm is. Complete these tasks. Spit up Jason and the Argonauts this thing. Go get it. I think that would be super cool and just see them because I want her and him to be friends, as weird as it sounds like. I don't want to see the last remaining Mandalorians that we have kill each other like that would be awful especially since i doubt the rest of her friends would be too super keen on that and he doesn't even want to fight her he's just willing to give it to her because he could care less (laughs) kind of like sabine back in the day couldn't care less this is not mine i am a teenager take this and then he's like i don't want this i want my weird green baby take this (laughs) and i'm just i'd like to see a jason and the argonauts kind of style hey 
find the last remaining pieces and then ta-da because the dark saber didn't unite anyone last time or everyone last time and i, I really hope the beskar spear is important because i feel like they threw that in and i mean obviously they name dropped thrawn but i would love to see because thrawn has mandalore the ultimate's helmet i want to say my sister told me that in his office he has one of the helms of Mandalore. I don't know if it's technically the same exact helmet that's the helm of Mandalore, but he has it in his office. It's in one of his background things along with like some kyber crystals and some other stuff. So if they could have like, hey, we need to go to Thrawn now and find his helmet and have like tie that into Soka series, I think that would be cool because that would be a pretty good Jason and the Argonauts thing to go to. Yeah, go take that from Thrawn because he's still probably alive somewhere wherever Ezra is. And I, I, that would be my favorite thing ever. Yeah, that's definitely, uh, that's an interesting take because I haven't, like, the most I've heard is either they're going to fight or they're not going to fight. But I really like that take. Uh, that was a KOTOR 2 reference, by the way, Hannah. You're going to have a lot of fun with that fetch quest. It sucks. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, uh, what, what do you think, Bo-Katan? Yeah, I unfortunately do see it heading in the direction of, like, Bo-Katan is the new villain of the third season. I don't like that take, um, but I do think that because it's... I know that she is, like, on her redemption arc actively. And she is becoming, like, more, you know, less terroristy as she progresses. And we've seen that um, through, you know, multiple pieces of media. And um, she... I, you know, I, I, I think it would be something of a disservice to paint her as like an objectively power-hungry ruler. Um, however, I do see that as being either like one way to approach it would be there's a time jump now. Bo has the dark saber. So I don't know. They did something, but it, that's just like a massive cliffhanger, and it's like an intentional problem that they set up to set up the third season. That would be super weird. Um, so I don't see that happening at all. I, I, it could, but that would kind of suck. Um, but I do kind of see her becoming an obstacle to Din, maybe only in terms of, like, you go and you do your adventures with your Darksaber, and then every once in a while I'm going to show up and I'm going to kick your ass. Um, and just, like, have her being, like, a recurring, like, oh, no, boss level. <laughs> um, I I don't I don't know exactly what they're going to do with that, though. Um and I, I hope that they don't paint her as, like, an antagonist at this point. Um, because, to be honest, with the absence of Gina Carano and, you know, Fennec is going to be off, you know, doing her thing on Book of Boba Fett, we're going to be kind of hurting for, like, women. So to have the only one be the antagonist, be a power-hungry bitch, would just be, like, frustrating. And I, I think we're moving away from that direction. That she doesn't want to be that. That's like the opposite. That's what she was. That's what she doesn't want to be anymore. But yeah, I don't know. What Kev? What do you think? What are your predictions? Yeah. So uh, I think it's going to be really interesting. They're definitely not going to just drop it and suddenly she has it. Because I agree with you, Hannah. That's just that's not going to happen. There's no way John Favreau and Dave Filoni and company made that setup and then not going to pay it off. Uh, I do think there's going to be some conflict in the early part of the season, but my prediction is that they're going to have to actually like talk through some things together. Uh, 
because that's part of maturing as a leader is not just fighting first, even though that may be your culture to be, let's just go to war. Uh, At some point, you're never going to move forward unless you learn to take a step back and assess the whole situation, figure out, you know, maybe there's another solution. Here's an example. Uh, They could just shoot Moff Gideon in his legs and then hand him the Darksaber and boom, okay, take it from him and then just cut him down and then problem solved. They don't have to tell everybody all the details, right? Uh, I don't know. I'm just, I'm kind of using that as an extreme example, but um, I do think it will be interesting to hear for, for them to, to work out sort of how Din Djarin got to where he is, what he actually knows and has been told. And for her, like he's hearing her perspective. She needs to hear his perspective and figure out how are we going to actually step back and, and unite everybody, even to the extremists that taught Din Djarin the way he is. Now she has some connection to what he learned because a lot of people don't probably know, but there was that one uh, Mandalorian on uh, on Navarro that was voiced also by uh, John Favreau, just like we got uh, uh, Pre Vizsla in the Clone Wars, and his name was actually Paz Vizsla, and he is part of Clan Vizsla, and so he got to voice two different guys from the same you know clan, and uh, so there's still there definitely is a connection all the way back to Death Watch. Um, I want to see them dialogue and work it out. There'll probably be a scuffle, but that I don't believe that she's going to be the villain. Uh, ultimately, Moff Gideon, partially the villain, but also it's going to be about Mandalore. Like they've set this up. They're going to try to, to bring Mandalore back together. And maybe they're going to have to go on missions together and try to recruit people. Kind of like Leia did. If any of you have read the Leia comics, uh, the Canon comics, uh, right after uh, Alderaan was destroyed, she actually went to recruit a lot of people, different Alderaan survivors that were scattered across the galaxy. So I think that would be interesting. And I think the idea of like bringing Mandalore, the planet into the equation could be, could prove like really, um, really cool and really helpful. And um, uh, because, you know, I mean, I don't see them bringing Grogu back. I think that he is with Luke now. Um, I, I'm, Okay, okay. This is a this is Disney. Do you know how much money they make on Grogu? I oh, mean, look how many Baby Yoda products I have in my room as a twenty three year old man. <laughs> I I mean I'm forty four and look. <laughs> I mean I t- I literally took Grogu on the plane back home for Christmas with a little Santa hat and I made the United Gate person like Massive. scan his ticket like. <laughs> Um, but uh, I think he'll go to the Ahsoka show. The Ahsoka show. I think I would be maybe or 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 Bogatan. It like it decides that she, you know she has to convince uh, Din Djarin to fight her, so she steals Grogu and threatens to kill him. Would she be from able Luke? to take him from Luke Skywalker at that point in his life? <laughs> Probably not at that point in his life, because that was like legendary Luke. But you never know. Uh, I think that would be interesting. But I guess I mean Grogu is a Mandalorian too now, so maybe she—he's got to be part of who she unites to bring back. Yeah, it, it could that's be. But I mean, that's the only way that he won't die in at the hands of Snoke. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. That we all need to see, and I think a tiny suit of Beskar is absolutely necessary 
I would buy so many action figures, pop figures, everything I could find with him with a little removable helmet waddling into a battle with a tiny lightsaber. Oh my goodness, I need to see this. Me and my girlfriend just sitting there watching the Mandalorian just squealing with delight as he comes out of like the whatever manufacturer they have and he just comes out in his little outfit just like dad are you proud and just uh i would kill for this that's a line of toys that people will buy too that's why uh heroes change and villains change suits every movie right or every every season that's true i mean i really do think that like uh, there's been talks of a Grogu mean great. That's not happening. Like just, just as like your Disney insider, that's that's not happening. But they could, and the money they would make. Like Disney's not stupid. <laughs> I don't think we've seen the last of Grogu. They literally can't. Like there will. But be I mean, outrage. I don't think it's the last of him. Full stop. But I do think that he is not really gonna be the center of Din's story anymore. And I think they need to give, you know, Din needs a new story to have. And I think a potential, like, thing of that could be Mandalore v. the Empire. And maybe he's fighting alongside other Mandalorians. You know, he's the technical, like, wielder of the blade. But, you know, perhaps Bo-Katan is really the the, the spokesperson. Um, and she she has to learn to, like, let that go and, you know, be on the same team with him. Um, despite beat, uh, Maul, and then Ray later beats Palpatine. Isn't Ray the ruler of Mandalore? Well, she's not born yet, so no, she's still not alive. But um, but but now she hasn't beaten Palpatine, so at this point in time, it's still right. Right, it, it's coming um, though. It's like within a few years. It, it, what is what is Mando? Five years after Return, something like that. So five more years, and we we'll, we get we get five a Ray. Years, yeah. But um. Oh shit, I was gonna say something and I forgot what it was. No, my god. Okay, hold on. Someone else say something, I'll think about it. Well, I was I I was still thinking about like the the way that um you know they could have you know Din's new arc alongside his other Mandalorians is by like we have no knowledge of the status of Mandalore as of the sequel era. It could be literally anything. It, they could easily, you know, beat back the empire. They could easily establish like a new culture, all of their own. It, it the, the possibilities are endless, and I think that's really exciting because so often in Star Wars you're filling in a gap between point A and point B. Um, but it's uh, you know, with this, it's an open-ended question, and I find that really exciting. I remembered what I was gonna say. I was gonna say it would be really cool because we need. There is what? There's literally, we don't know, well, we kind of do. There's not a lot of time between the fall of the Empire and the rise of the First Order, okay? Like, all of these, you know, factions of the Empire that are left are contributing to the eventual rise of the First Order. So I would love to see Admiral Sloan or, you know, Mm -hmm. someone like that uh, be, you know, maybe not the central villain, but I would like to see some of that because if they're going to tie, if they're going to use these next couple of TV shows to, you know, fill in the gaps, like, I would really like to see some of those characters because she's just from novels, you know? Um, a really cool character, but um, so I'm kind of like, I, I don't think that Din's journey with the Empire is over, um, especially not with Moff Gideon. I don't think he's the big bad. I think we've established that, but yeah, I don't know. For me personally, I'd like to see her or 
some other fuck even brendel hux like what's his deal i know he, he he had a thing but um yeah i don't know um but i just uh, want to see grogu and ben solo on a play date that's oh what God. i've been holding out for i don't know <laughs> like I, I i don't know if i could like personally stomach that if un- unless I knew for certain that Grogu was eventually going to decide he'd rather be a Mandalorian than a Jedi. <laughs> yeah, there's no way he dies at the temple. I'm calling that now. So yeah. I'm sure that that's no. He makes too much money. Yeah, and plus, you, you know, Disney may have alienated a small portion of the fandom now. That's like most of us will be up in arms if that's what happens. Like My mother, who could not tell you five characters from Star Wars, despite seeing all of them many times, would have an absolute conniption if they killed Baby Yoda like that. Like, she, she's probably seen all the Star Wars through probably five or six times. She's seen Clone Wars through. Can't tell you who Ahsoka Tano is. Can't tell you who Boba Fett is. She gets him confused with the T all the time. But she would be up in arms and be willing to assault anyone she had to to keep that adorable, weird frog child alive. And I think that says a lot about Star Wars right now, at least. Then we'll all become Mandalorians because we'll go to war. This is the way. (laughs) This is the way. Protect Grogu at all costs. He is definitely, and I'm trying to like think, no, like, I don't think we've seen a single thing cuter than Grogu. all of star wars generally i don't think of the word cute when i think of star wars but um but on that note grogu is alive he's not gonna die that's that's where we're at but um i do you know want to kind of wrap up now um and i just you know i think we want to end on this question of like what like what is the effect what has the what is the impact that mandalorians have had on this community you know like are are we gonna see tons more mandalorian stuff you know pretty much for the rest of star wars like yeah what is why are we here what is what has mandalore and the mandalorians contributed to the overall star wars universe and why are we having this discussion right now i think that's where we want to close things off deep question (laughs) it's always got to be a big question but um whoever wants i could jump in if nobody else wants to first go ahead Um, i i do think that maybe at first like just with all the Mandalorian stuff as it's grown, it's like, well, we should explore this more because this seems to be interesting to people. Uh, I don't think that they've just introduced it now just to drop it, just like with the baby. Uh, don't ever drop your baby. Um, I, I think that uh, they're definitely going to have some Mandalorian threads go further on. Or again, why are we dealing with all the story? It's like, otherwise it's just like Rogue One. Okay, we care about these characters for one film or one you know a few seasons and then they're all gone like the whole culture dies um i do think it depends greatly on bo katan's decisions in the next season and she and dinjarin and others if they're able to unite each other together then they can unite the clans and then they can actually be something i think it's interesting that they're not sith and they're not jedi although you know, they've definitely been at war with Jedi, but sometimes not. Sometimes they've been, you know, especially during that uh, time of, uh, of Satine, where, you know, they were, <laughs> you know, Obi-Wan embedded with her, not 
you know, no pun intended. Embedded um, with her? Yeah, no pun intended. Corky. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but we've got uh, you know him and and the um, uh, Qui Gon Jinn, who I want to see a lot more of if we ever get to see before Phantom Menace kind of stuff. Uh, like so there was some alignment with the jedi sometimes and then we saw of course with uh ahsoka i know she's not a jedi whatever uh when they went to the siege of mandalore and then now like you know a mandalorian and a jedi they'll never see it coming like we're gonna see something else come out of this i'm sure of it yeah definitely what i would like to see is for honestly for them to skip forward a lot and have baby grogu kind of like i guess I, we don't really know how Yoda's species age, but have him kind of like a true. teenager. I have, I have, I have information. Um, <laughs> uh, for for those of you who don't know, I'm kind of like Element Seven's apprentice, so he fills me in on this stuff. But um, apparently, at the age of seventy five, that is when you're like you look like Yoda, like okay. adult. So we've got like twenty five years for Grogu. So. That would actually be pretty perfect then because like if we have him i would kill to see him kind of come together with ray and be like hey there are more of us out there and kind of see the mandalorians live together because she seems to kind of want to choose more of the middle road than kind of the standard jedi does especially since there's not a lot of role models running around anymore they seem to they seem to kind of have petered out because we had the jedi back in the old days who had all the stupid like oh let us sit and spin our lightsabers and be all fancy and all that but then we get to see luke and he's more of a hey i'm going to use my lightsaber to beat you to death and now we've got the sequels where it's kind of almost the jedi are devolving back to their basic form and i would love to see the mandalorians especially baby grogu kind of pop and be like hey we're here to help especially since his age would fit really well in that i would love to see corky pop up honestly like i'm pretty sure i saw somewhere that he died which upset me greatly. Do we have confirmation on that? Not confirmation, but Bo says that she's the last of her line. Yeah. And that she supposedly um, died defending Mandalore. That's one thing that always upset me about her, that she took tail and ran, but everyone else that died, because there was entire clans completely wiped out, except for hers. She took the leaders of her clan and made sure they survived, which is important for storytelling because it is more of an oral language, but she ran. I think, I don't think that they will unite under her again. They've united under her twice. I can't see them doing it again. Especially Do you think the they'd unite clans. under Din, though? <laughs> like, to be I honest. I figured out who they're going to unite under, and we all would do it too. Grogu should be the Mandalorian. <laughs> I agree. I agree. He's got why? to be the new Mandalore. Why not? I mean, I I would trust him more than I would trust Din. Like, no. I'll lay well, down my life for him right like, now. Din is a great... He's a good Mandalorian. He does not mess around. He does his, you know, he fulfills his missions. He does what he has to do. And yet, he cannot keep track of anything to save his life. Not at all. So, like, I, I mean, I don't, I can't see him ruling Mandalore. So, I mean, I guess we're all kind of at a loss as to, like, this is, you know, kind of exciting to me because I think a lot of times with Star Wars, as much as we all love it, there are some things that are predictable. Like, even Rise of Skywalker, Hannah and I knew Ray was a Palpatine. Don't ask us why. We were on that train 
since like 2015 like we have always been ray palpatine no i know she's not a palpatine do not no, misconstrue my words no, no, i wasn't gonna correct you i was on the train too like at least by 2017 i'm like she's probably related to palpatine yeah um but no i i did i didn't necessarily direct that at you kev i just meant like you know we, we gotta put that out there i don't want anyone thinking like i do happen to own the username ray palpatine that does not mean that i am like that <laughs> but With clarification there are people that say actually she's ray palpatine and anytime anyone says the words ray skywalker no. aka people who are just desperate that biological family is the most important thing and don't understand the concept of like adoption or found family as real world concepts if you if you say i say well he's definitely not den's blood kin and they're that's his son right right that's his baby i mean literally this whole discussion the way we started this you cannot sit here and tell me that ray is not a skywalker and in the same breath say i love mandalorians Uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh um but anyway, uh, my, my point here was just that there are some things in Star Wars that we can predict. And I think that where we're going with the Mandalorian, I don't think any of us have a definitive answer. Like, even with WandaVision, people have some stuff figured out. And as much as I wanted to believe it was this grand complex thing, I think Hannah was right and it maybe is not as. <laughs> I don't think it was Agatha all along, but anyway. Well. No, I don't think so either. But, you, you know, uh, that's, that's a different podcast that we don't run. But um, we, but no, I think that, and that just maybe speaks to the uniqueness of Mandalorians, which is kind of where we started this conversation. And I think that it's just refreshing and also you know especially in the age of a lot of people who go well star wars is about anakin skywalker you've got this entire group of people that have you know they have a history with the jedi but they're their own thing and they have such a rich culture that we've been able to you know constantly add on to without even you know yeah their interactions with the jedi are there but they're few and far between because there's so much going on within their own culture and that makes them their own you know they have this entirely different dynamic in star wars and um that's you know why i wanted to do this episode that's why this topic is so interesting um and you know this is a really refreshing discussion to have because we don't know there are a million different ways this story could go and i love that because i don't always like to sit here going like okay we know what's gonna happen we just have to wait six months to find like you know officially confirm it um but yeah definitely um i don't know if there's any prediction go go ahead um so you know the whole thing with the dark saber and how you know uh tar was the one mandalorian jedi and all that stuff well now that grogu is mandalorian and we know that he's force sensitive and supposedly, uh, maybe some of you may, one of you may know this better than I do, but uh, what I've read so far is said that the reason why the Darksaber, one of the reasons why it could be what it is like so different is that it's powered by a kyber crystal that was actually a crepe pearl inside the crepe dragon pearl. We've seen one of those now on the Mandalorian. It's possible that that could be where Grogu gets his kyber crystal because uh, I think, you know, we've got Boba Fett and he knows about that thing too. Oh, yeah. And that could be that he creates a new Darksaber and then that unites them as the new Mandalorian Jedi 
as the new Mandalore. I'm just saying, like, that's definitely a possibility. I feel like some of these things were placed there and we're going to be like, what? Kevin was right all along. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, like, I think that having him, now that I'm thinking about it, I think that would be so out of left field but in a good way like i don't know maybe grogu could grow up like i I, maybe first of all they'd have to cast someone as luke (laughs) um for him to fail at being a jedi or not even fail just be like okay no 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 this isn't for me um who knows i'm i'm on board with it why not if he's half as powerful as yoda he'd be a great mandalore (laughs) you need it to be a shoto like the smaller like like what Yoda had, yeah. Could be the dark saber, but he could certainly make his own with the crate pearl. That's just what oh, yeah. True. That'd be awesome. Yeah, for sure. Um, was there anything else you wanted to add, yeah, Hannah? That's it for me. No, I think that um, I just wanted to like throw in my my two cents about the like the you know the purpose of Mandalore existing in the Star Wars universe. I've mentioned how they are like. Um, almost the, 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 the rare um, anti-Jedi sort of presence. I think that they're the anti-Jedi it, more than like their history with the Jedi. I think that they p- provide like a really good foil to like this main central culture of um, Star Wars because the Jedi, you know, have a certain reputation of like monastic honor throughout the Star Wars universe and throughout, you know, like our real world world perceptions of what a Jedi is. Whereas Mandalorians are very much like warriors who are tightly wound and, you know, um, they don't seek like the vibes and the peace. They seek like victory and honor. And I think that having that contrast, not only does that, you know, fleshing out of the Mandalorian character create all these like great avenues that can be explored going forward. It also fleshes out the Jedi so much and, and it gives like, you know, a lot of new and interesting perspective on really the group that is that is what makes star wars star wars i i think is the jedi um and it's just so uh so so great that you know even though it wasn't established in the main film films it's become something that is so important to like our understanding of you know what the jedi are um and i think that that's really great and their whole thing right like that's a big deal for them it's not for the jedi they they shun attachments imagine if din and grogu and others get connected to ray in the future and can actually kind of because family's important to her too like maybe some of that melds together into the future of the jedi order we can only look forward in anticipation of it but um thank you guys so so much for coming on to the podcast today we were so excited to have you both um if you could just remind everyone watching slash listening uh here what your your social media handles are where we can find you um i'm baldy one kenobi also known as chandler you can find me on tiktok you can find me on instagram and that's pretty much that's pretty much it over to you yeah so uh, j kevin parker all one word uh just about everywhere except youtube where it's epic worldview but i've got it linked in my link tree and uh, i also set up a an amazon wish list in case you know anybody wants to just throw me a, a lego star wars kit or something that i've got on there once in a while uh, I support, guess support the content. Buy that man a Lego. <laughs>
<laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, no, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I like, I, I feel like I say this every, every episode, but like, as we go on, we grow as podcast hosts and, you know, make, you know, new connections. Like this is our first time uh, Chandler, like, like really talking like we've corresponded yeah. i've i know i've commented a lot on your recent videos about old republic um but no i mean this is a great platform just to like be able to make more friends in the community and i'm so grateful yeah. to both of you for coming on like this truly has been one of my favorite episodes like we did not miss a beat here i had so much fun talking uh to both of you um and yeah just thank you so much for coming on and thank you to you guys for watching and listening um and we will be back next week with something hopefully equally as exciting and we hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we uh enjoyed filming it uh but with that uh i bid you all adieu um and may the force be with you may the force be with you